Before you use AI to transform your agency, you need to begin with trust. Introducing Watson X Governance. Helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com federal. IBM. Let's create. number 47 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? This is Chris Tripodi of DraftAnalyst.com, and just because Tony Pauline is back from Indianapolis doesn't mean that we're done covering the Combine. We'll wrap everything up with a nice little bow on the show tonight. Catch up on any sleep since you got back, Tony? Not much, Chris. I mean, back to uh, the, the film work. I've done all the major conferences, so now i got to hit the smaller conferences like the Mountain West and the Conference USA. And what do you know? Pro days are upon us, and I'm late getting those pro day reports out. We had Colorado, we had Colorado State, we had a few others. We'll get those reports up, but it's you know literally from uh, the college bowl season through the beginning of May, it's nonstop go. Now we'll start with the team that everyone's talking about. No one is really talking about them during the season, but that's why they have the number one overall pick, and that's the Arizona Cardinals. Recently, Charlie Casserly reported that several general managers were not impressed with Kyler Murray's interviews at the combine. The Cardinals, however, seem to feel a bit differently. Reportedly, they were very happy with his interviews. Does any of this surprise you? Not at all. You know, word before the combine, which I had reported, was Murray was unprepared for all the media interviews that were set up for him. So really, this is just an extension of that. And as far as the Cardinals report, teams see what they want to see. And the more I hear from league insiders and the more reports we read, such as the one from Roto World that you just mentioned, it just seems like at this present time, the Cardinals have a love affair going with Murray. Now, I mentioned the Murray to Arizona talk being a potential smokescreen last week. Could the Cardinals possibly be trying to build Murray's value up for a potential trade? I know that there was a report that John Gruden also loves Murray, and obviously the Raiders don't pick until fourth overall. Yeah, absolutely. And now two things. Number one, in the lead up to the combine, when I was doing radio interviews around the nation, I said that I thought that there was a chance that John Gruden and the Oakland Raiders could take Kyler Murray at number four. The reason was, is I, I think John Gruden looks at Kyler Murray as a guy that he can develop into a top-level NFL quarterback, which would only basically increase his legend as a coach and, and really stamp his mark on the league. If it doesn't work out for John Gruden, he's just going to go back into the TV booth. While I was in Indianapolis, on these podcasts, and even at DraftAnalyst.com, I mentioned that word from Indianapolis was the Oakland Raiders were trying to package some picks to consider moving up to that number one spot to get Kyler Murray. So I think it makes sense for the uh, for the Cardinals to talk about Kyler Murray because number one, they do like him, and number two, you know, if they decide to trade, you know, the more they talk about him, the the more they're going to hopefully, or more in their minds, they'll increase his value if they decide to get an offer or if they do get an offer from the Oakland Raiders, a team like the Oakland Raiders. Now, sticking with the Kyler talk here, there was a report on Roto World Wednesday that some scouts were saying Murray's height was inflated at the Combine. Now, personally, I'm not really sure how you can inflate your height without anybody noticing, but is there anything that you're hearing about this rumor? Well, quick story, which I heard 
probably about five, six years ago, and I confirmed again with the person who told to me, and it deals with Drew Brees. When Drew Brees was measured in at the combine, he was measured in at 5117, and Drew, Drew Brees said, oh, come on, that's six foot, and they put down his height as 6000. So the word was is they gave him an eighth of an inch onto his height. Now, would they do that today? In the day and age of social media, in the day and age of loose lips, sinking ships, I find it very difficult to believe that Kyler Murray came in at 5097 and they gave him 5101 or 510 and an eighth of an inch. When I read that report, what I was thinking of is something that I spoke to teams about at the combine, specifically the New York Giants, and that his weight may be inflated in the sense that he's 207 pounds now, but his actual playing weight may be under 195 pounds, and he just bulked up to look good on the scale of the combine. Let's see what happens next week during his pro day. Let's see if he gets on the scale and what he weighs. If he gets on the scale and weighs 207 pounds and he goes out and he runs 40 times in the low four fives and he moves around well during uh, passing drills, well, then we're wrong. It wasn't an inflated weight. But if he chooses not to get on the scale during a pro day weigh-ins and all of a sudden he's running the low four fours, you know something was up with that 207 pounds that he tipped the scales at during the combine. Now, you might not know it from all the Murray rumors, but let's not forget that the Cardinals drafted a quarterback in the first round last year as well. There was actually another report Wednesday saying that Arizona didn't shop Josh Rosen at the Combine, which is contrary to some things that we've been hearing. What do you think about that report, and is there anything you can add about the situation? Well, I never said that the the Cardinals were shopping Rosen at the Combine. What I said was the Washington Redskins said and told people that if Rosen becomes available on the trade market, and if you read the uh, report on draft analysis, if was spelled in capital letters, If Josh Rosen becomes available, the Washington Redskins are going to uh, make a move towards acquiring him via a trade. Now, you know, Arizona, we're still in in March. And even though it looks like they're in love with Kyler Murray and they're going to take him with the first pick, you know, we have to wait and see how it plays out. You got to wait and see what the reports are on the medicals. Kyler Murray hasn't thrown a pass yet in any workout. Didn't throw a pass to the combine. He's going to go through a scripted pro day. So, you know, there's still something to be played out. I can tell you this about the Washington Redskins. Multiple people have told me that their other target for quarterback is going to be Case Keenum, presently with the Denver Broncos, but likely on his way out after the Broncos acquired Joe Flacco through a trade. There are a half dozen teams or more who are looking at Case Keenum right now. So if Josh Rosen hits the trade market and the Washington Redskins can't get him, look for them to make advances towards Case Keenum. They may try and get Case Keenum anyway and then move towards Josh Rosen if he becomes available via trade. Now back to the desert once again. We'd previously reported on the show that Robert Kimdichie was an expected cut by the Cardinals. Are there any updates to that situation? Yeah, I just heard literally the other day that the Cardinals will likely try and trade Kimdichie before cutting him. Now, would there be any market for Kimdichie? Well, there was a market for Christian Hackenberg, wasn't there? But, you know, all kidding aside, if Kimdichie is moved, I would expect it to be for a conditional pick, uh, something that's based on playing time, etc. Remember, a year ago in January, I had written that Christian Hackenberg was going to be uh, moved from the New York Jets, was going to be cut, but he was not going to be cut from the Jets. I went through the whole scenario where he would be traded to a team for a conditional pick. That team would hold on to him for a certain amount of time, then cut him, and the Jets would get nothing in return for trading Christian Hackenberg. That's possibly the scenario here with Kimdichie. Now, we have a lot from Arizona today. 
On Tuesday, the Cardinals cut starting linebacker Josh Bynes. That leaves a hole in the middle of the field for them, even if Bynes wasn't exactly filling that hole at a high level. Do you have any idea how they might fill that gap in their defense now? Yeah, sources tell me that they expect the Cardinals to make a big push for C.J. Mosley of the Baltimore Ravens if he makes it to free agency. You know, even though the Ravens didn't tag the former first round, the reports are they will try and re-sign him. But if they can't re-sign him and Mosley gets out there in the in the open market, look for the Cardinals to make a push to uh, sign him, bring him in, and make him their starting middle inside linebacker. Now, finally, move on to the combine workouts here. See who the winners and losers were at every position. We will go position by position for you. And we'll start, obviously, with the quarterbacks, possibly the position where the combine testing matters the least. Drew Locke proved himself to be the best overall athlete among the top quarterbacks who did participate in the workouts. Again, remember, Kyler Murray weighed in, got his height taken, did not participate in any workouts, did not throw anything like that. All the other top QBs had their moments in testing besides Dwayne Haskins, but no one expected Haskins to do much athletically. He did do well in the throwing drills. Obviously, the talk does continue to be about Kyler Murray, who we really just can't seem to get enough of here. He checked in at 5'10", 207. What do you make of the QBs coming out of the combine, Tony? You know, I thought Jared Stidham was the big-time winner at the combine. He was accurate. He showed excellent arm strength. He really improved on what was a terrific senior ball. The deep outs, 35-yard deep outs, is the money throw at the combine where they put a cone, the receiver's supposed to run to the cone, and the uh, quarterback's got to hit the receiver by the cone. And literally, if the receiver did not catch the ball on multiple occasions, Jarrett Stidham would have hit the comb with his 35-yard deep out because he was so precisely accurate. I was really impressed with his timing. Receivers were not waiting for the balls. They came out of breaks, especially on the outs. I, I thought he had a terrific day. Uh, on the other side of things, I thought Will Greer really struggled. His passes were all over the place. He showed no timing. He was high of the mark oftentimes. I think he's definitely hurt his draft stock. Could fall until the last day of the draft. I also thought it was a struggle for Daniel Jones. I mean, he was a guy who was very erratic with his throws, erratic with his accuracy, did not show great timing. And that's a difficult thing to do because a lot of these, you know, these quarterbacks have basically never worked with these receivers for the most part. And they just may have met him within the prior 24 to 48 hours. That was Haskins' big problem was the timing. Haskins was relatively accurate, but he was late with his throws because he was not confident in the timing. Uh, it was a good workout for Haskins. It wasn't a flawless workout. And I've seen some flawless quarterback workouts in the past. But again, I, I thought big time, big winner was Jared Stidham uh, with the throwing, with his accuracy, with his timing. I think right now he could slide into the second round. I still have him as a third rounder, but I wouldn't be surprised if he, if he ends up in round two. Staying in the backfield, but sliding over to the running back position, Miles Sanders out of Penn State and Alex Barnes out of Kansas State were probably the two players who tested out best overall when you take all the drills into consideration, or I should say all the workouts into consideration. Mike Weber and Ryquel Armstead impressed in the 40-yard dash. Some third down backs like Justice Hill out of Oklahoma State, Travis Homer out of Miami. They really excelled in the straight line speed and explosiveness drills, which is not unexpected from them. We did talk Friday about the struggles of Devin Singletary and Elijah Holyfield. Holyfield ran a 40 in the 4-H, just didn't look like an NFL-level athlete. Singletary struggled in the 40 and the agility drills, which is kind of alarming and a bad sign for a small back like Singletary. Didn't even weigh in at 205 pounds. Tony, tell me who I missed and go over some of those guys as well. You know, I absolutely agree with you on Alex Barnes of Kansas State. Let's make a quick comparison here. Alex Barnes at 226 pounds, ran the short shuttle in 4.1 seconds, and ran the uh, three cone in 6.95 seconds. Now, Miles Gaskin, 
who's 205 pounds and 21 pounds lighter and is known as a quicker, more creative back. His uh, 20-yard shuttle time was 4.2 seconds, 17 hundredths of a second slower than Barnes. His three-cone time was 7.19 seconds. What's that? Almost 25 hundredths of a second slower than Barnes. So I think Barnes, when you watch him on film, he looks more like a downhill runner. But that shuttle time and that three-cone time, and even the 60-yard shuttle time was 11.72 was a pretty quick time. I think that really bodes well for him. I thought Daryl Henderson did very well as far as the 40 was concerned. You know, Benny Snell did not have a good 40 time. Wasn't horrible for 6.6 for his size. But he ran a solid three-cone time at 7.07, so that tells a lot. I think Dexter Williams of Notre Dame, again, an average 40 time at 4.57, 4.16 in the short shuttle, seven seconds flat in the three-cone. Those are good times for a relatively bigger back. I was slightly disappointed in uh, Devin Singletary, who you mentioned. Also, Miles Gaskin. I mean, Gaskin's known as a smaller, quicker, creative back. 4.58 4.58 in the 40 with a 1.57 10-yard uh, split. By comparison, Benny Snell was 1.55 in his 10-yard split. He was faster. And like I said, 4.27 in the short shuttle, which is not a good time. 11.77 in the uh, long shuttle. By comparison, uh, Alex Barnes was 11.72, as I mentioned, and 7.19 in the uh, three-cone. Those are not good times for a guy that's supposed to be a quick, elusive back that creates his own yardage. So I think Miles Gaskin's draft stock is going to take a hit off the co- coming out of the combine. Now, we'll stick with the skill positions here. We'll move over to the wide receivers. Obviously, everybody's talking about DK Metcalf, and surely his performance was really impressive. I mean, it was also expected. Maybe not a 4.33 40-yard dash. Not sure a lot of people thought he was going to get under 4.4, let alone 4.35. But we knew he he was going to be fast. We knew he was going to be explosive. Our questions that we have talked about based off of his film surrounded the agility drills. And he was woeful there. I don't really want to exaggerate, but he was bad. A 7.38 in the three cone, almost a half second below the historical average four wide receivers. A 4.5 short shuttle, which is almost a third of a second below that positional average. Some are really pumping up Metcalf as a big winner coming out of the combine. But to you, didn't he just mostly kind of tread water? Yeah, and you didn't even mention the position drills. I mean, we we come out of the combine knowing that DK Metcalf is a big guy who can run fast in a straight line. You mentioned all the the, the testing times. If you watch him during position drills, he was not quick in and out of breaks. He didn't uh, run routes with balance. He was double catching a lot of passes. He was even dropping a lot of throws. So, you know, I, I hate to be redundant, but DK Metcalf is a great athlete who is an a- average college pass catcher who's not a good receiver at this point in time. Maybe he can be a good receiver, but he's a long ways from it. And then don't forget, he's got the neck issue, which he basically admitted to saying that when he was going crazy as he should have been proud of himself for that 40 time and even the vertical jump he should be proud of himself but he he made a statement that you know a few months ago I had the serious neck injury they didn't even know if I was going to be able to come back now you got to wait and see what the medical reports are on that neck injury and the medical reports you know it's not going to be the same for everyone. There are some teams that will give them medical clearance. There are some teams that are going to red flag them. And there are some teams that may downgrade them. So we're going to have to wait and see about that. Great athlete. You know, kind of reminds me of Taylor Mays in, in a ways. If you remember Taylor Mays, what was it, maybe uh, eight, ten years ago? Guy who put in a Herculean type of Olympic workout at the Combine. But when you watched him, he couldn't move two feet to his left or two feet to his right. He was a straight-line player, a second-round pick who's had a nice NFL career. 
Obviously, DK Metcalf's going to go earlier, but he's got a long way to go before we can really call him, you know, an NFL receiver. Now, there were some other receivers I did think did well at the Combine. Miles Boykin from Notre Dame really tested well. Emmanuel Hall from Missouri, at least before his injury, which we've previously discussed on this show. Paris Campbell from Ohio State did well. Andy Isabella actually tied Campbell for the fastest 40 among the receivers and also did well in the vertical, the broad jump, the agilities. He showed himself to just be an all-star level athlete. I think Hakeem Butler might have taken our comments about him being a loping athlete and thrown them right back in our faces. He didn't run the agilities, which for me was a concern, kind of like for DK Metcalf. Just really hard for those bigger receivers to sink their hips and move and change direction. Do you have anything to add on these guys, Tony? And who else do you think might have helped themselves? Well, you know, you got to start with Miles Boykin, who you mentioned. I mean, he had a terrific overall testing day. 4.42 in the 40 with a 1.50 10-yard split, which was one of the fastest. 43.5 inches in the vertical jump, 11.8 in the broad. You know, you mentioned the uh, the shuttles and the cone. Uh, Boykin ran 4.07 in the short shuttle, 6.77 in a three cone. And when you watch Boykin on film, he looks like a big-bodied, stiff possession receiver and his testing results basically uh show anything but that i thought aj brown of mississippi had a good day especially in position drills he was overshadowed obviously by dk metcalf but still i mean 4.49 in the 40 was a solid time for him at 226 pounds and he was running solid routes he caught the ball very well you mentioned uh, hakeem butler yeah, I thought Nikhil Harry also uh, showed well for himself. Uh, didn't run the shuttles, didn't run the three-cone. 4.53 for a player who many were concerned was not going to get on the 4.7. So I think Nikhil Harry's a guy who now is going to go in the top 15 selections of round two. Terry McLaurin of Ohio State as well. 208 pounds of 4.35 with a 1.45 10-yard split. That was tremendous. 37 and a half inch vertical jump and a three cone time that was 7.01 seconds. So McLaurin had an outstanding day and continued the momentum up draft boards off of what was a terrific senior bowl. I'm glad you mentioned Brown and I'm also glad you mentioned Harry because those guys didn't blow it out of the water, but they weren't expected to. And by most accounts, they beat expectations. People were worried about A.J. Brown's speed, worried about Nikhil Harry's speed. Harry on film is a guy who makes big plays. They give him the ball in space and he does things. And as a result, you like to see him run that 40 time because it proves that he can do it against better athletes at the NFL level. So I do agree with you that Brown and Harry, while they didn't blow up any of the testing drills, they did help themselves very much at the combine. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the combine's about expectations. You come to the combine, you beat expectations, you're going to improve your draft stock. You fall short of expectations, you're going to drop down the draft boards. And we'll talk about some receivers who, you know, fell short of expectations. But again, the Keel Harry people were talking, you know, 4.65, 4.7, and he runs a 4.53 with a decent 1.55 10 split, which was better than A.J. Brown. We've got to wait and see what he runs in the short shuttles as well as the three cone and see if he runs the long shuttle, a 60-yard shuttle during pro day. But still, it was a it was a terrific performance by uh, Nikhil Harry, who's taken a lot of grief, including from yours truly. So we got to give him credit. Absolutely. Now there are some guys who unfortunately aren't going to get that kind of credit. Keyshawn Johnson out of Fresno State, a guy we talked a lot about during Shrine Game practices. He struggled. I was personally disappointed in Riley Ridley out of Georgia. Didn't really produce with the Bulldogs. A lot of his projection and people thinking he was going to be an early day two pick or a mid day two pick was based on being an above-average athlete. He really wasn't even an average one 
in most tests. Combine that with his lack of production, really not a good sign for his future. Who struggled in your eyes, Tony? Yeah, Keyshawn Johnson, he's a good receiver. He's just not a good athlete. And that's why he came into the season graded so lowly by NFL scouts. I'll agree, agree with you about Ridley. You know, people were talking about Ridley being such a great route runner. 4.28 in the short shuttle, 7.22 in the three-cone, terrible numbers. Uh, Naquan Murray, a guy who entered the season rated as a potential fourth-rounder by scouts, Naquan Murray of uh, Florida State, 4.63 in the 40 at 191 pounds, 4.4 in the short shuttle, 7.2 in the three-cone. Those are awful numbers. That's th- Those are mediocre numbers for a linebacker. And then there's little Jordan Humphrey, who basically probably worked himself out of the draft, or if he is selected, it's going to be you know in the sixth or seventh round. 4.75 in the 40, 4.29 in the short shuttle, 7.09 in the three-cone, which is okay. Little Jordan Humphrey is the example of what we've talked about in the lead-up to the combine. A big body receiver who wins out for the 50-50 throws, who wins out for the contested passes, but he's got to show the ability to separate. And, you know, at 210 pounds, when you're running in the mid-4.7s, you either got to really bulk up and maybe become a move tight end, or or you're going to be the fifth receiver at the next level, and you're going to work your way up from the bottom. And that's what's going to happen with Little Jordan Humphrey. Well, you just gave me the perfect segue to go into the other pass catchers here at the tight end position. Obviously, Noah Fant out of Iowa was a big winner near the top of all the testing numbers. Josh Oliver out of San Jose State, Irv Smith from Alabama, and TJ Hawkinson, Fant's teammate, were some other guys who impressed. I also thought Foster Moreau held his own as well. Tony, who did you like from what you saw at tight end? Yeah, and Moreau's one of those guys who came to the combine and ran much faster than anybody expected. So his draft stock is going to go up. You mentioned Josh Oliver. I think he's definitely solidified himself as a top 75 pick. I was impressed with Dax Raymond. Ran much better than I thought. 4.72 in the 40 with a 1.6410 split. Uh, 7.15 three cone, which is very good, faster than Josh Oliver, as a matter of fact. Andrew Sample, really one of those guys like Foster Moreau, ran much better than expected. You know, we saw him at the senior ball. He looked like a big body blocking tight end who was also a good pass catcher runs a four seven one uh with a one five eight ten yard split that's a terrific time and it was seven point one five three cone that's as fast as dax raymond dawson knox didn't run the 40 but dawson knox had a terrific position workout ran good routes caught the ball exceptionally well want to see obviously what he runs his 40 in during pro day but i think dawson knox has basically positioned himself to be the top tight end in that second tier of tight ends after T.J. Hawkinson, after Irv Smith Jr., and after Noah Fant. You know, there's going to probably be about a half a round of separation to the mid-late part of round two. Then guys like Dawson Knox will come off the board. Assuming Dawson Knox runs a decent 40 time at, at uh, Pro Day, decent time is, you know, in the four sixes. I'm told he could run in the low four fives. Now onto a few tight ends who struggled. For me, it was Isaac Nauta and Zach Gentry. Nauta, smaller tight end, under 250 pounds, tested as a below-average athlete as well. Gentry is bigger in the 260s, but tested similarly to Nauta. Caden Smith out of Stanford really struggled outside of a pretty good three-cone drill number. Tony, who are your biggest losers at the position? Caden Smith was was terrible. I, I mean, again, expectations. In October, November, we're talking about Caden Smith. The word out of scouting circles was, you know, he's going to enter the draft, which we reported on these podcasts. He could potentially be the first uh, tight end uh, selected and could potentially be a first round uh, target. Runs a 4.92 in the 40 with a 168 10 yard split. He's now a six seventh round pick. The other guy who really uh, disappointed me, Kendall Blanton, who was supposed to be a bigger athlete who had to learn to be a tight end, 4.95 with a uh, 164 10 yard split. 
runs the 60-yard uh, shuttle in, in 12.28, 7.37, three-cone. Just not a good performance by Kendall Blanton, who may now not get drafted. If he does get drafted, it's going to be in the very late rounds because scouts see that he needs a lot of work on his game, and he's not even a fast athlete. Moving on to the offensive line here, the guys that stood out in my eyes, Andre Dillard from Washington State, Garrett Bradbury, center out of NC State, also Chris Lindstrom out of Boston College, a guy who many thought athleticism was a weakness of his. I think he answered a lot of questions in Indianapolis. Guys like Ryan Bates out of Penn State, Caleb McGarry out of Washington also showed well. Obviously, every lineman is going to have their strengths and weaknesses when it comes to athletic testing. They're not all going to excel in every test. It's not like the skill positions in that way. To me, the big name that struggled as a whole in the entirety of all the testing and also in drills was Greg Little from Mississippi. Tony, who are your biggest winners and losers up front? Yeah, I'll get to Greg Little in, in a second. But, you know, Asuo Peta of Weber State, who played tackle for Weber State, is probably going to move to guard. I mean, he was terrific in testing. 39 reps on the bench, which led all offensive line. I think it was the number one number at the combine. 5.02 in the 40 with a 1.66 10-yard split that was faster than any offensive lineman in Indianapolis. 33-inch vertical jump. A solid three-cone time of 8.06. You know, really did what a small school guy's got to do. Went there, showed that he's a terrific athlete. He's got upside potential. Again, he's a college tackle who I project to guard at the next level. I love Derek McCoy of Texas A&M. Liked him at the Senior Bowl. Thought he kept the momentum going at the Combine. 4.89 in the 40 with a 1.72 10-yard split. That's terrific. 4.62 in the uh, short shuttle, which was an outstanding number. And he also had, he had a decent bench number of 29 reps. He's not known as a strong guy. Granted, in football, you're blocking with your legs. You're not doing bench press, but that's still a good number for him. Philip Haynes of Wake Forest, 33 reps on the bench. His 40-yard time wasn't that great at 5.2 seconds, but he did have a 1.79 10-yard uh, split, and he did run a 4.95 20-yard shuttle, and his three-cone time, with 7.76. So those were some very good shuttle numbers and 10-yard splits for Philip Haynes, who was probably going to go on the last day, but if he kicks it in the gear, can start at the next level. As far as the guys who disappointed, I mean, Nate Herbig of Stanford, guy who had a lot of moving parts. I mean, even when he stopped, he seemed to be moving. 335 pounds, 5.41 in the 40 with a 1.86 second 10-yard split. That's terrible. 5.04 in the uh, short shuttle. 8.15 in the three cone, just not good numbers. 24 inch vertical jump, uh, just a seven, uh, seven foot six uh, broad jump, not good numbers at all. I myself was also disappointed in Bobby Evans of Oklahoma. I thought he was going to test better. 5.2 in the uh, 40, which is not, you know, it's not a horrible number, but a 1.86 10 yard split, that's not real good at all. Only 22 reps on the bench. And you mentioned Greg Little. I mean, Greg Little looked like he wanted to be somewhere else. He looked like he hadn't properly prepared for the combine. He looked like he'd rather be someplace else. Greg Little, who did not have a good campaign in 2018, is consistently dropping down draft boards. The beginning of the 2018 season, we're talking about Greg Little as the first tackle taken, potentially top 10 choice. Now he's lucky if he hangs on to the last, uh, last couple of picks in round one because it's just been a downward spiral for him. We'll get to defensive winners and losers in just a moment. But before that, please support the draft analysts by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any of the big podcast platforms. You can also find us at Believe.com. Leave us a rating and a review. And if you have any questions you want answered on the show, tweet us at Chris Tripodi, at Tony Pauline, at Draft Analyst One, and at Believe Podcast 
to get in touch with the show. Now, switching sides of the ball here, we'll stay in the trenches. Some really impressive performances from the defensive linemen. Shouldn't be a surprise considering that's where the strength of this year's draft is. We'll include the edge rushers here in with the defensive linemen as well. Guys like Rashawn Gary out of Michigan, Max Crosby from Eastern Michigan, Ohio State's Nick Bosa, Quinnen Williams from Alabama, Jerry Tillery, Ed Oliver, Rennell Wren. The, the names really go on in terms of the defensive linemen here. Also, Iowa's Anthony Nelson was a guy who impressed that. Personally, I wasn't really expecting to do that well athletically, so his numbers come as a definite surprise. Looking at some of the edges, Montez Sweat obviously broke the defensive line record with a 4.4140. Justin Hollins from Oregon performed well. Brian Burns from Florida State. Chase Winovich, Ben Benogu out of TCU all had their moments as well. There's a lot of names here when it comes to winners on the defensive line. Tony, what did you make of the best performances from this stacked defensive line class? And who do you think might have actually hurt themselves in addition to this long list of potential winners? Yeah, and when you reel off the, that list of names, it's no surprise that scouts feel that 70 of the top 100 players in this year's draft are going to be from the defensive side of the ball. And as I've said constantly, this could be a historic year on the defensive line. You know, Brian Burns, is he a defensive end? Is he an edge rusher? Does he stand up over a tackle? Doesn't matter. We know this. He's a great athlete. 4.53 in the 40 with a 1.57 10-yard split at 249 pounds, 7.01 in the three cone, which is a lot of receivers and defensive backs, which they had run a 7.01. Rashawn Gary, again, a guy who I've always thought was top 10, a lot of terrific numbers, uh, 4.58, which with a 1.63 second 10 yard split, 38 inches in the vertical jump, uh, 4.29 in the short shuttle, 7.26 in a three cone at 277 pounds. Some guys who are kind of under the radar, Malik Carney of North Carolina, 251 pounds. So is he going to be a defensive end? Is he going to be an outside linebacker? 4.73 in the 40 with a 1.60 10-yard split. That's a terrific time. 7.40 in the three-cone. Solid time for a guy that size. 33-inch vertical jump. 25 reps on the bench. Not bad. Sharif Miller of Penn State had a terrific day. 4.69 in the 40 with a 1.67 10-yard split at 254 pounds. The guy 6'4 and a half, so you know he can put on uh, some size onto his frame. Ran a solid time in the short shuttle of 4.45. And then Tristan Hill, who was often mentioned and, and should be talked about even more, you know, 308 pounds, 5.04 in the 40, 1.74 10-yard split, 35-inch vertical jump, runs the short shuttle in 4.38 seconds, Good time for him. Runs the uh, three cone in 7.70. If you read my stuff over the summer, probably in June, because the American Athletic Conference is one of the first ones I do, I said that Tristan Hill was the top pro prospect coming out of Central Florida. I graded him as a potential fourth-round pick. I definitely think he's moved into the second day of the draft. As far as the uh, guys on the other side of the coin, well, we talked about Ja'Kai Polite last podcast. I'm not going to beat that horse, and there are obvious reasons why he's fallen down draft boards because of his combine performance. I was disappointed in Daniel Wise of Kansas. I liked his position drills, but his testing was not good. 5.28 with a 1.78 10-yard split at only 281 pounds, 27.5-inch vertical jump, uh, not a good time. 7.53 in the three-cone was okay for a guy who's 281 pounds. You know, Daniel Wise, it may be a situation where we're looking at another guy who is a really good football player, but just not a great athlete. At linebacker, a pair of Devons really stole the show. Devin White from LSU and Devin Bush from Michigan 
Both ran sub 4540s. Devin White was already widely considered a first round pick. Devin Bush might have worked his way into there as well. My biggest surprise among the linebackers was Minnesota's Blake Cashman. Now, when you watch Cashman, he plays like a 4-5, 4-5-5 type of guy on film. That's because his recognition skills are excellent. He's very quick diagnosing plays, good to the ball, tackles well, really plays fast on the field. I didn't expect him to actually run a 4-5 in the 40-yard dash. I actually thought he would help himself if he ran in the 4-6s. He did well in some of the other drills, too. So Blake Cashman was a guy who definitely came out of the combine a winner for me. Similar to the defensive line, there weren't any massive disappointments as far as guys who really, really busted here. You do want to see Terrell Hanks run faster than a 4.98 in the 40. Jeff Allison from Fresno State had his struggles, and that's worth mentioning, getting along with the theme we mentioned with Bulldogs on Monday. We talked about Keyshawn Johnson earlier in this show. We talked about Mike Bell when we were talking about the defensive backs. Tony, what did you make of the linebackers overall? I was surprised that Jeff Allison got a combine invite to begin with. He's slow on film. He doesn't look athletic, so his results didn't surprise me. Terrell Hanks, he's got to run well. I mean, and well means in a low 4.7. So I'm told that after his first time, he got a call on his phone and was told basically pack it up, stop working out, which tells me that he probably got a call from his agent. Cashman was terrific, as you said, from Minnesota. I mean, it wasn't just the 40 time of 4.50. It was a terrific 10-yard split of 1.55. It was a 37.5-inch vertical jump. It was a 10-feet, 4-inch broad jump. It was a three-cone time of 6.95. I mean, that's outstanding for a uh, 237-pound linebacker and a short shuttle of 4.12 seconds. So Cashman really, really helped himself. I thought Ty Summers of TCU, good workout. 4.51. I was told he was going to run on low 4.5s. He did. 4.51 seconds with a solid 1.57 second 10-yard split. 36-inch vertical jump. 10-foot, 3-inch broad jump. Did not run the shuttles. Uh, but you can see the athleticism on film. So I would expect good shuttle times. You see Tyler Summers on film. He's a guy who gets 30 yards depth on his pass drops and moves well laterally. Obviously, Gary Johnson, another guy who I mentioned uh, a couple times after Sunday's workout. 4.43 in the 40 with a 1.50 10-yard split, 7.15 in the uh, short shuttle. I thought that Porter Gustin of USC also did well compared to what people thought he was going to do. 4.69 in the 40, 255 pounds. This is a good number for him. 35 and a half inch vertical jump was also a good number for him. So, you know, Porter Gustin coming in, was he a defensive end? Was he uh, going to be a linebacker? Was projected to be at 265 pounds, came in at 255, and, and I thought performed very well. Uh, also had 31, I believe it was 31 reps on the bench. So uh, that was an outstanding number for him. We'll look at the secondary now. We talked on Monday about guys like Juan Thornhill, Ken Webster, Isaiah Johnson, David Long, Will Harris, and also Marvell Tell looking at the safeties. All those guys excelled. Some other guys who impressed me, I thought Corey Ballantyne continued his momentum from the Senior Bowl with some solid workouts. Nothing otherworldly, but did a nice job. Two fellow Senior Bowlers to him, Rocky Asin from Temple and Lonnie Johnson from Kentucky also did well. I thought Justin Lane looked good. Some of the guys who struggled in my eyes would be DeAndre Baker out of Georgia, Blaze Brown, who we talked about on Monday out of Troy, and of course, we mentioned him earlier in the show out of Fresno State, safety Mike Bell, couldn't even get out of the 4.8s in the 40. Tony, what'd you make of the DBs overall? Yeah, we won't go too deep into it because we did an extensive podcast on Monday about defensive backs, and I would recommend that people go back and listen to that. Just some of the names that we didn't mention. Lucas Dennis of Boston College. I was disappointed in his 40 time of 4.64 seconds 
but he had a terrific three-cone time of 6.89, a solid uh, short shuttle of uh, 4.09, and a real good 60-yard shuttle at 11.42 seconds. You know, the problem for him is not really big. He came in at uh, 5'11 and a quarter inches. Uh, he's not fast, but he's a smart player. We didn't talk about Jamal Dean, and Jamal Dean really tested off the charts. 4.3 seconds with a 1.4-second 10-yard uh, split, 41-inch vertical jump, 10-foot, 10-inch broad jump, 7.023 cone. A guy who was expected to test off the charts. He did 16 reps on the bench press. He's a great athlete, but he's not a good football player at this point, and he's got a large injury history. So it's going to be very interesting to see where Jamel Dean ends up. Some people have him as a uh, third-rounder. I have him as a sixth-rounder because of the mediocre play on the field plus the injuries of the past. Uh, you know, it's, it's a risk, but he's one of those guys that's at six foot one, 206 pounds runs in the four threes. If he shows durability and you get the best out of him, you change, turn that athleticism into football ability. You may have something. Now, before we sign off, Tony, you've mentioned potential changes to the combine that could be coming in the near future, possibly as soon as next year, obviously rumors of the events leaving Indianapolis, possibly turning it into a two-week spectacle, having workouts aired in prime time with interviews during the day. Have you heard anything further on this? Yeah, I spoke to a couple of people, and what it looks like is the NFL is going to sell the combine to the highest bidding city, which is sadly is not unusual because it's always been in uh, Indianapolis and they've done a good job. You know, the general managers and those responsible for the work on the ground at the combine, the scouts, the coaches, the personnel people are going to protest and they're going to protest loudly. I don't know if it's going to help. As far as changing locations, it's not expected for a few years, but it's eventually going to move out of Indianapolis. I've also spoken with approximately half a dozen agents about the possibility of moving workouts to the evening into primetime. And they've all told me the same thing. They're not going to let their players work out, which is understandable. I mean, presently, the players arrive in Indianapolis. They go through three days of pretty torturous medical and psychological testing, as well as a host of team interviews before taking the field on the fourth morning for workouts and position drills. And by then, they're pretty tired. You know, I was told by the agents who I spoke with, they're not going to let their players hang around all day and work out at night when they could be stressed and even more fatigued because the league wants television ratings. So how would a two-week combine actually work? I mean, are teams really going to keep their employees, particularly the medical staff, there for the entire duration? No. The way it was presented to me is all the players would assemble in one place, possibly like Indianapolis, for a couple days to do all the medicals and to do the psychological testing, and it's going to be closed off to the public. Now, the actual workouts and the position drills will be spread over time and potentially spread over from city to city, which basically means what was presented to me is you may have the quarterbacks and the wide receivers and the tight ends work out in the state of Arizona or somewhere in Arizona on one weekend. And then the offensive lineman and the defensive lineman may move to another city in the middle of the week. And then your running backs may work out, uh, you know, on a Thursday night in, in the third city. And then your defensive backs may work out and your linebackers may work out the following weekend in a fourth city. So the way it was presented to me is all the players would go to one spot for the medicals so the teams could have all their medical staff there to do what they have to do and the wonder licks and then the position drills and the workouts could be moved to either multiple cities or could be held in one facility at a city over the course of a week or two weeks now you got to remember what happens is with the combine is the coaching staff doesn't stay for the entire week the way they do with the uh at the senior bowl 
the offensive line coaches come in early for the offensive linemen. And when the offensive linemen are done, the offensive line coaches for the respective teams leave Indianapolis. And same thing with the receiver coaches. The receiver coaches arrive when the receivers invited to the combine get to Indianapolis. They go through the workouts. They do the interviews with them. And then they leave when the players leave. I, I guess the people who would really be put out would be the general managers because they're going to have to travel from city to city to city to do these interviews and to watch the workouts. So it, it could be a grind for them. I'm told it's a couple of years off, but you know, it's, it's a marketing thing. There's going to be a lot of pushback from the general managers, the scouts, the position coaches, as well as the agents who do not like this idea at all. And that's all for the 47th episode of the draft analysts presented by the believe sports podcast network. Do you believe if you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us questions on Twitter that we'd be happy to answer on the show. Obviously, we're back on our regular schedule now. So we'll be back next week with another show for you going over pro days and any other recent buzz that we have leading up to the draft here. In the meantime, please head over to draftanalyst.com where you can get all the latest from us until our next show. And on behalf of Tony Pauline, I'm Chris Tripodi. Thanks again for joining us. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.